By now, many of us have heard about the Mandela Effect, and some of you may have had one or two of your own. But is there science to support that these effects, memories that seem to counter supposed documented history, are real? Are these more than just mistaken recollections and actual time or reality shifts? According to Cynthia Sue Larson, the answer is a resounding yes, and she's delved into this research both from a quantum and mystical perspective, and what she's discovered may just turn conventional science on its ear. In today's chat, we discuss this incredible discovery, along with a Mandela effect that involved her own death in another timeline. Take a listen. Of all the amazing reality shift stories you've shared with both me and many others around the world, Cynthia, what we're about to discuss today has to rank up there as one of the most baffling and yet inspiring that I've heard. And that has to do with what you call the alive again phenomenon. Now, this is connected to a term that is perhaps more familiar to folks out there, and that's the Mandela effect, of which we're also going to be discussing today on a broader scale. But let's get to the actual alive again scenario that completely caught me off guard. This is a specific scenario and why I wanted to have you back on the show today. And it has to do with how you learned that you died in another reality. Now, before we get started, I want to read a portion of an email that a fan of your work sent to you, and then we're going to have you comment on what he said. So let me start by quoting. He says, Hi, Cynthia. I have an unusual story to tell you in regard to the Mandela effect. My name is Steve Boucher, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and I'm from St. Catharines, Ontario. I'm 63. I've had several occurrences of the Mandela effect in my life over the years, but none like the most recent one. I watched your interview with Regina Meredith on Gaia TV and have been a fan of your work for a while now. Shortly after the interview with Regina, I decided to visit your Facebook page to learn more. Upon arriving at your Facebook page, I was greeted with a message from your husband stating that he regretted to inform us that you had passed away and that you had been ill for quite some time. I was shocked to read this news and immediately responded by offering my condolences. I remember feeling this great sadness come over me as I had very much enjoyed your work. A month or so later, I noticed a new video of yours on YouTube and was amazed to see that it was a recent video. Then I started to notice more recent videos popping up on YouTube. It didn't take me long to realize that you were still alive. I realized then that I must have shifted to a different timeline in which you had not passed away. I knew then that I had to write to you and tell you this story, as strange as it sounds. I am grateful to have shifted to a timeline in which you are alive and continuing to bring videos to the public about the Mandela effect and time shifting. I hope you don't think I'm crazy. I just had to tell you, end quote. Now, I know you ended up having quite the, the back and forth dialogue uh, via email with Steve over a period of time, which you included in a longer blog post, which I think I'm going to link for all of you out there to read. But Cynthia, Cynthia, please share with us first how you reacted when you first received this message, and then maybe go into your ideas as to what may have happened that actually corresponds to a time when you were quite sick. <clears throat> yes. Oh, my gosh. It makes me cough just thinking about it. Because it's <laughs> like, well, there's nothing. I, I mean, I have been studying the alive again phenomenon for years. That's uh, It came up in my book, Reality Shifts. Uh, you know, I've written about it from the outside of it. To get this email and to recognize 
uh, the, that first interview I did with Regina Meredith was indeed released uh, the first week of January 2017. At that point in time, I had been very sick already for about a month with a very bad respiratory infection that was starting to head into pneumonia. <sighs> and it's very easy for me to, in fact, I had told my, my parents, my daughters, uh, my husband, and I think one close friend that I felt like I was close to death. I mean, it was that bad. And I, anyway, I could, it's not hard at all for me to imagine that the illness could have gotten gone downhill instead of my experience, which was it start. I started getting better. But it's not hard at all to imagine that it just kept, kept progressing worse and worse. And then by February or March, I could have been dead. That would have been a long illness. So what I what I felt when I got this email from Steve was, my goodness, he's got the exact right time frame. He's got exactly how the news would have been shared. It would have been through my Facebook page, most likely. <clears throat> you know, when, when you pass away and someone turns on your computer, you're logged in, and there you are. So, of course, uh, just so people know, you know, you, you can stop phoning and writing. She's passed away after a long illness. That would be a very easy logical way to announce the news. So everything that Steve was describing from the time frame, um, the event, which would be death, which I was feeling I was very close to, the what type of death it was after a long illness, uh, this is incredible. So I just told him right away, I think you're right. I, I believe you. I believe what you saw was another reality. Huh. And, and so this is very different than the typical response, which... I think we've heard popularized by Mark Twain, the rumors of my demise are, you know, greatly exaggerated. That kind of thing. Right. You know, right. It's, a, it's a big joke. But but this goes along the lines of, um, according to my research, this does happen. We we and now we've got evidence of it from quantum physics, which we could talk about I'd like later. To, but yes, I would like yeah. to get into that. Well, listen, I, let's before we uh, leave the idea of the Facebook post, I want to get into that because this is where it gets really sort of trippy, if you will. And it reminds me of a, a story that I'm going to share again. I know I've shared with you before. But let's talk about that Facebook post that Steve said he knows he saw in which your husband announced that you had died. What happened there? What did Steve see? What was happening? Well, now there's no, uh, this is very typical of reality shifts, Mandela effects, when people say, prove it, I need to see the evidence, where is it? Um, well, as far as I know, we're never going to see physical evidence or proof. All we've got are the memories, because the way we travel through realities is through consciousness. Mm -hmm. we, we don't get to bring any souvenirs with us, only our memories that that's for sure what we know happened. And so, of course, it can sound outrageous. I, what, what I'm in a position to do is to verify and validate what Steve is describing, to say that is exactly the most likely path that the announcement would have taken. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, this is a great time. I've got to bring this up. As soon as I read that, I uh, uh, read his email and how he described where he says he knows he saw this uh, news on your Facebook post, it reminded me. Do you recall, Cynthia, the story that I told you about James Gandolfini when he passed in 2013? And it was really just days before he passed that I could swear I saw the headline on, on a website, on a news site, that he had passed away, and he hadn't. Do you recall me telling you yes. that? Yes. I, I, it stands to it's it's worth bringing up again because it it sounds like it's somewhat similar. Although the it's, it would seem that the time frame would be a a lot uh, a lot less in terms of the window. I guess it's not identical, but it's similar in that I had a memory 
of seeing James Gandolfini headline, James Gandolfini dead at whatever age. And I remember it happened so quickly. I, I went back and I to try to find it. Did I see what I think I saw? Was never able to get back to that page. Even going through my bookmarks, it was gone. But I know what I saw. Invariably, several days later, he it was announced that he had died. Yes. So, and I had I had something similar happen with the author of the man who mistake mistook his wife for a hat. Oliver Sacks. Um, I saw. I saw. A ver- I read a New York Times intensive article about his life because he'd passed away. I, I read it about a day before he actually died. I, I, I'd read the entire article. I thought, wow, that's so sad. And then very shortly after, then he died because I, it was the weirdest thing because I couldn't find the article again. And then he dies again, like on the next day. So dies again. Uh, I think. Hmm. Yeah, we we can we can dance through these adjacent realities. Sometimes they're wildly different. Like in my case, I'm very much alive. The other um, possibility was very much dead. And you know, I've heard from a few people who corroborated Steve's um, description. They found out different ways. Really? One of them had watched. Yes, uh, someone else had seen. There'd been a tribute um, posted by Moneybag73. He's got a YouTube channel, and he had once been on a panel of reality shift Mandela effect experts back when Dr. Taryn Lupo was doing roundtable YouTube videos on a weekly basis. And so Moneybag73 stepped up and did a tribute in my honor after I'd passed on two years ago. Oh, my gosh. No, Cynthia, I, I, you know, you are the consummate researcher and you get how this may be playing out. But this had to really creep you out. Did it not? I mean, well, I, mean <laughs> I would say, I, you know, the funny thing is I'm take, I look at the experience and recognize as some people who've written to me who have been facing head on collisions and then they're teleported to the other side of the oncoming car. Yes. What they tell me is um, what they recognize is this is a chance to level up. This is a chance to um, just make some life choices the way that we live that's at a whole new vibratory frequency. That is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So so I'm taking it that way. So no, it doesn't creep me out. And in fact, I'm pretty relaxed about it. I've, I've often wondered, what does it feel like if when I tell someone, like I saw Jane Goodall, and I know she died. I, her, I remember it very clearly. Mm-hmm. And I've met her in person just a few years ago. But I remember that she died right after Diane Fossey, the author of Gorillas in the Mist, had passed away. And it, I didn't mix the two up. Instead, I was I was getting, starting to get upset about it, like because these, this was two murders. They had both been murdered. And I thought, this is outrageous. How dare people kill the female primate researchers that are the top ones in the world? You know, this is really, I, I was getting upset at that point. And so I would, I mean, it was upsetting when Diane Fossey died, but it was outrageous when Jane Goodall also died that way. Hmm. But I didn't get a chance to ask her about it. But I kept thinking, uh, because Jane Goodall has quite an entourage when she gives a talk and she does a public appearance and she's getting elderly. Um, I, I think it's kind of exhausting for her. So there's not a lot of time. We're just moved through very quickly. You can shake hands, say hi, get a book signed, and that's about it. Um, so I didn't get, and how would I ever tell her? You died, you know. <laughs> right. Unless she already knows, unless she was told yeah. by. Let me, let me ask you this, because I, I cannot have this conversation in this context without bringing the technology factor. And let's talk about that. Could technology 
be playing a role in how reality shifts occur, Cynthia? Might there be a sort, this is what I'm thinking, could there be a sort of bioelectric factor where our own brain, consciousness itself, and the electromagnetic field may be creating this sort of entanglement that's allowing for these things to happen? In terms of, I'm talking about particularly seeing visibly through our internet, the Facebook post in Steve's case, some other news website in my case, etc. Is technology a factor here? And here, I have to admit, I'm, you know, I am a quantum physicist and a mystic, and I'm going to lean over to the mystic side and tell you that all you ever need is consciousness. And I know there's a desire on the part of a lot of people to say it has to be a machine or we need these devices. Devices are helpful, but consciousness is primary. You can never get behind consciousness. Mm -hmm. That's what Max Planck said, the great physicist who coined the word quantum to begin with. And because you can't get behind consciousness, it's all you need. That right. that is that's all there is. Well, right. I and I agree with that. I would think that that would that would be the infrastructure. That would be the seat of all of this. But again, if we're let's let's assume that there there may be more of this happening since the advent of technology. Could it be a factor, not the factor, consciousness is the factor. But again, I'm talking about entanglement, our own bioelectric factor, our own consciousness, the electromagnetic field, all of these, again, entangling to make the Facebook post show up. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it just seems like there may be something that could be accelerating or exacerbating, making it more likely for us to have these flashes of what we think, think we're seeing on a screen, but it's really consciousness. To, yeah, our ability to observe is being affected by the technology. So whereas before when we had the stone tablets and the clay tablets and that kind of thing, it would that was not the day and age for uh, a shot to be heard around the world through you know, teletype and so forth mm. as at, during the time of the world wars. And now we've got the internet age, we've got social media, we've got uh, the ability to outpace any kind of news media. It's possible for news stories to go around the world really fast, right. thanks to things like Twitter and so forth. And so then, then you've got the major news networks picking up social media to follow a story. Uh-huh. So the technology has helped it's just improved the way that we can communicate with like-minded individuals faster. So that part of it, yes, it's helping humanity embrace a new level of uh, social connectedness and to step up to being a new level of human being. Mm-hmm. We've always been social human beings, and I think we're being challenged now more than ever before to recognize how it is that we wish that to move forward, to play a role in our own evolution. Mm-hmm. to decide, you know, how do we wish ourselves to be in the world. Understood. And par- partnering with um, things like artificial intelligence, which I do agree is coming. And uh, But it, it needs to be a partner with us. So not yeah. something great. It'll never be greater. It, that That's the mistake. Agreed. Absolutely. Okay, fair enough. Let's, let's talk about Steve again. Very interesting gentleman, and you did share some things with me offline that I'm going to keep offline for now about his, uh, his own amazing journey. But one of, one of the things he said in his correspondence to you is that he himself has had several Mandela effects previously. My question is, Cynthia, do you think there's certain individuals who tend to have more Mandela uh, effect experiences? And if so, if so, how, how would that be? 
Hi, this is Alexis Brooks. If you like what you're hearing during this episode of Higher Journeys, you'll definitely want to tune in to my conscious commentary this Friday, where I will be weighing in on some of the ideas we discussed on today's show. We'll dive a bit deeper into what was shared by our guest as we continue to unravel the mystery and the magic that surrounds us all. So take the higher journey with me. Tune in this Friday for Conscious Commentary. And please don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And when you do, hit that notification bell so you'll be alerted as soon as our show airs. And now, back to our program. Yes, I've done this. I have been looking into this uh, for the 20 years I've been studying the phenomenon of reality shifts, which I later found out is the term that PMH Atwater originally coined in a book called Future Memory, Chapter 2, Reality Shifts. So, uh, but but when I was searching around to find a term to call, what do I call this? That just made the most sense. Later, I found out she'd already come up with the name of it. So bless her heart. She's just spot on as usual. Mm -hmm. But yes, um, so the research I've done is a couple of surveys that I did through the realityshifters.com website um, about 13 years apart, the one in 2000, one in 2013, and just to track down what kind of people are experiencing this. But then subsequently, in the last year or so, I've used the Myers-Briggs inventory, which is a psychological testing profile. And based on that, uh, I found that there's a remarkable correlation it doesn't mean causation but there's a correlation between people that are intuitive feeler types so if you're in you're intuitive and you go with your feelings um, and then especially if you're also introverted um, then that's the massive majority of people that experience the mandela effect and reality shifts right there okay I didn't expect to get something that definitive. That is interesting, and yet not surprising. Uh, I recently just did a, a conscious commentary segment in which I talked about uh, right brain and um, as correlated, not caused by, but correlated with the left side of the uh, the, the body, and uh, sort of went into some of the, the features that go together in terms of being intuitive, being you know right brain, perhaps being connected to the field of all, being able to procure. Uh, out of the multidimensional landscape, etc. So uh, not surprising, not surprising, but interesting. So you actually have some data to back that up. That's yes. fascinating. Yeah, I got the participation of hundreds of people, just uh, people that have experienced Mandela effects to go ahead, take the Myers-Briggs mm. inventory exam, which takes a while to go through that and take the test and then indicate what what profile type they are. Uh And it's just astonishing to see that when you put the intuitive feelers together, especially uh, the introverted intuitive feelers, then and and you can combine in the extroverted, and then you've got the majority of Mandela effect experiencers. That's who they are. Hmm. That's a, yeah, there there was a question I wanted to ask, and it just kind of flew away with regard to that. Maybe it'll come back. Well, I I could say something else, because it ties in with what um, we were talking earlier, like, uh, would there, might there be any evidence, or maybe I'm the one that brought that up, but... um, the people that would be not uh, would be aware of internal evidence are definitely going to be your intuitive feeling people. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are paying attention to their internal feelings. Remember, that's often the only thing you have to show that anything even changed in the first place. Absolutely, I would certainly agree. So you know, the the, the question then becomes: Are more people that maybe don't fit in that profile having the experience 
of the Mandela effect or some variation thereof, but those that are reporting uh, that they are conscious that they're having them, the, the intuitive introverted types, so those that, that have a proclivity to be more aware. Yeah, that's, it's starting that way. I think what's really going on now is that we're hitting a tipping point. And so if you look at the Mandela effect communities, especially amongst some of the religious fundamentalists, um, they, there's a little bit of paranoia, a lot of fear, um, some panic and concern about the role of technology, such as the Large Hadron Collider and um, tampering of um, powers that be. That's So there's a lot of fear when people see things like the Bible passages are changing. Yes. It used to be the lion lays down with the lamb and now it's the wolf. And so people are really getting upset about that. But what I like to remind people is that uh, it's good to be spiritual. The key to spirituality is to recognize the meaning, the purpose of everything, the, the deeper feelings. And um, the, the truth about our natural world is that it's very quantum. You know, mm. All of evolution happens in quantum jumps. Yes. Uh, and it, that's just the way it is. So yeah. there's... <laughs> I agree. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, and I, as a matter of fact, I think it was in the same correspondence with Steve where he, where he talked about... I believe where he noticed uh, the shift in the the, the uh, Bible verse about the lion and the lamb versus the wolf and the lamb. So that's uh, that's yes. interesting. I'm going to encourage again everyone go. We'll have a link to uh, take you to Cynthia's uh, extraordinary blog post. There's several actually that are all related that we'll we'll be touching on in, in this subject area. Make sure you get uh, the links to that. But again, as far as the alive alive again <laughs> phenomenon, which you call it. This is interesting, Cynthia. You feel that some people who say they learned of someone's passing that have this sort of visceral reaction where they may say no, as if not wanting to believe it, that that, not denial, but saying no, may in fact play a role in shifting the reality in which the person may have died but didn't. Am I understanding that correctly? I mean, you, you say... I'm going to quote you. You said, one thing that I've noticed when having a no reaction to hearing news of someone's death to be followed later by them being alive again is that it's entirely possible that people connected through collective consciousness are making a kind of vote on the matter. That's what you say. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's uh, that's why it matters to have friends, to have people that love you, that support you, because then it becomes part of a very strong network of support that's extremely powerful. I, I think it does have the power of good health and life and death. And this may sound outrageous, but it's just what I'm observing. So, so I think our friends and the people that truly adore and love us make all the difference. And I feel that in my own life when I've uh, reached other various points in my life where I feel like, wow, I think, because I can feel when death might be coming for me. And it's actually happened about seven times so far. Hmm. My usual and what I usually, my go-to pattern is then I go, it's kind of like walk up to God and say, okay, I'm okay with this if this is the popular decision, but could you please take a, a check for me and see, you know, what does everybody really want? If my time is over, great, let it let it be. Um, but every time so far, and now I just know to go directly and don't mess around and don't waste time trying to figure out who wants me dead or what have you, yeah, because that's a waste of time. You know, what I do now is I just go straight to, to God and say, okay, I'm ready. If this is meant to be, uh, is that really what the popular decision is? And every single time I can actually feel the waves of love coming toward me and just that feeling of, no, we need you here right now. And that's real. And that's... So when we each of us individually think to ourselves and feel in our heart, no, 
like 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 for me with you alexis i would feel like no nothing bad can possibly happen to alexis you know this is part of your support network just that mm-hmm. you've got me feeling like that's not possible that's not allowable i need alexis too much we're not done with her mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> right. we need you yeah yeah well that's interesting that that when i first read that i thought you know, when people, they'll hear of the passing of someone, they'll go, no, it can't be, it can't be, which could be uh, thought of as denial. But that's not what you're saying, really. It's it's the feeling, the emotion accompanied with the, the eminence of that, perhaps, that could that could literally put someone, turn someone around or shift the timeline, is what you think may have happened in your case. Yes. Uh, the, and the power of the collective uh, uh, consciousness, of course, um, more than one would make that even more plausible. So when it comes to when it comes to these shifts in reality, one thing it's very basic, simple stuff. I mean, simple meaning not easy necessarily, but it's simply a matter of lining up your head, your heart, your gut, everything in between. When you feel like this overwhelming need in your gut and love in your heart and desire uh, with your and you know visioning what the possibilities are with your head. When all of that lines up perfectly, that is powerful. Mm-hmm. This of is course. this is so much more than any technology, and th- that's what can absolutely flip the past around. You can affect events in the far distant past with with just that. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Well, let's stay on that for a little bit. Well, I, I tell you what, no, let's park that because <laughs> there's still a few things I want to talk about. Time shifting, in so far as the the idea of maybe changing the past. But uh, this, again, alive, I keep saying again too much, again, alive again, (laughs) the alive again phenomenon is it's related, but still a little bit different, I suppose, in terms of the, the, the context in which we're talking about it. I want you to talk a bit, a little bit more about the quantum effect, because where I don't want to get too heavy into the science of this, I think we do need to somewhat quantify how on earth this is happening there's still so many naysayers out there that that'll be listening saying no absolutely not it's it's a fanciful very nice idea but uh the materials out there are going to say no way but when you bring some science into it just a little bit in layperson's terms what can we say about all of this oh my gosh let's do it uh, and you know i've been studying <laughs> i know this you for love 20 it years oh my gosh yes uh, the <laughs> biggest news i've seen in the whole 20 years i've been studying this field just happened this last um, this spring, March of this year. There was an article published by MIT Technology Review. That's Massachusetts Institute mm-hmm. of Technology. <laughs> this is not some woo-woo fly-by-night field, you know. And what they're reporting on is that observers are able to witness the same event differently. Yeah. This is uh, moving a Gedanken experiment, which is like a thought experiment that you come up with on your easy chair, into the laboratory. And it was conducted by physicists working together at from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. And then also there were some researchers at the University of Vienna, Austria. Mm. To, together, they were able to take the double slit experiment, which is considered one of the most elegant experiments in all of science, and conduct it in such a way that there were two observers tracking to see whether they're uh, able to discern if a particle going through the two slits is actually moving through as a particle or as a wave. Uh, you know, what are they observing? And there, uh, this experiment proved without any shadow of a doubt that two observers can and do sometimes get completely different observations of the exact same 
event that's occurring right there in front of them. And what that means is we're disproving the long-standing bias and belief in some kind of an objective reality. So this is huge. Yeah. I, I can't even... <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about, but the, the net of it is, that I, I, I don't know whether you mentioned it in this way, is that these two people that are observing the same activity, let's say, they describe it differently, but both of what they've described are correct. Not this or yes. that, but this and that. Yes. Yes. That's what to me is just incredible. Which so is, that matches this whole thing of when Steve tells me you died and I say, yes. I don't say the rumors of my demise are greatly exaggerated. That's our standard Boolean classical way of one objective reality. No, I understand that there is subjective reality, mm -hmm. that there are many realities. And I tell him, yes, you're correct, Steve. That probably happened because I almost did die. And it was exactly then. But you, so, you say you almost did die. I wrote, but did yeah, that, you die in another reality? Is Cynthia no I'm, longer here in another reality? Or, I'm, saying or yes. I'm saying yes, Steve, that's true. I'm sure that's true. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying yes to his observation. Uh, so in some other possible reality, that's gone. Yes. It makes me think of the work of uh, uh, Seth, who was channeled by Jane Roberts, in which he spoke frequently about prob what he called probable realities, meaning that all realities are at some level active and, uh, and real, but they stay in a probable state, really sort of a, you could uh, call it a, a wave state. And the individual somehow chooses, depending on maybe its observation or emotion, whatever that trigger is to bring it into the 3D as uh, going from probable to actual. But in the probable state, it's still a reality. I, I'm thinking out loud here, so so bear with me, everybody. Sure. But yeah, it, it just seems like both can be true. Both can be true. But it, in the reality of your no longer being here, is that following its own trajectory and whatever, like, are you existing in an afterlife right now in an, on another timeline? Yeah, well, I've, uh, as a result of this whole me being dead experience, I've heard from a lot of people. Uh, one gentleman told me that in some reality that has changed his whole life, uh, he used to listen to me on Coast to Coast every week, talking to George Nuri about reality shifts. I, uh, in my experience, I've only been on coast to coast twice in that's 20 right. years. <laughs> Not every week. Um, Unless so he's just binge, binge listening or listening over and over again, thinking it's a different episode. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm being funny. Is, <laughs> <laughs> how funny. No, no, he said this totally changed. It rocked his world. It changed his life. You know, he's come around to seeing the world this way. And it was thanks to me being on coast to coast every single week. Just a regular, Isn't just kind of like a regular call in or I don't know. It, but I don't remember that. I mean, I would definitely remember Of course that. you would if you're on coast to coast every week. Well, first of all, you'd be really exhausted because of the time <laughs> that you have to be on <laughs> to be on well, George's show. But just to it. You, you know, <laughs> what you're saying is quite fascinating because it's making me think of an occasion or two in which someone said something similar, not coast to coast for me because I haven't been on yet, but interviewing someone that I clearly had not interviewed. And the person actually went into great detail about the exchange between me and this. I, and I can't even recall who the guest is. I think it was Joe Dispenza now that I think of it. 
And I remember at the time I said, I, I'll call that a little nudge that I need to get Joe on the show. And I didn't want to embarrass a person, so I didn't say anything. I think we were on the air when, when, uh, when the person said this. But I'm, now I'm thinking, did they actually hear in some other scenario, some other timeline, whatever we, however we want to term it, where I was actually having an exchange with Joe Dispenza? I would say that's a good chance that that's true. Really? Yes. Yes. I mean, if it's a credible source, if and probably if you've got that as a guest that you're speaking with, that would be a credible source. Yes. This just changes the dynamic of all of reality, does it not? <laughs> it just it changes it, everything. Yeah. So there's there's no more need to be doom and gloom. There's no need to be afraid, even though we're talking about death and these heavy subjects. <laughs> but um, for me, this is exciting. This is incredible. This is along the lines of the philosopher Nicholas Rescher, who wrote a book called Axiogenesis, that there's basically this philosophy of optimalism at work, also considering that all these possible realities might be there. But there is an ultimate intelligence that's working with all of us to ensure that we're constantly, uh, sometimes in at ways that we can't see, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Things will seem like they're going wrong before they go right. But sometimes that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're seeing this. Right. You know what comes to mind within all of this? I mean, look, there's so many possibilities as to what reality is and how this works and and I love the fact that there seems to be this surge of interest, even in the in the very, very conservative academic community, scientific community, about exploring what this reality may be all about. The, the no objective reality, as an example, look, being able to uh, to uh, observe two people observing the same thing, different results. They both they're both real. These are multiple dimensions. These are things that are now being d- discussed in polite circles. <laughs> Inclusive of which is the simulated model of reality. This is being talked about very seriously, that we may actually be living in more or less of a virtual reality, a simulation. I don't know that you and I have ever talked about that, but I think this would be a good time to bring this in within the context of what we're discussing here. Right. What are your thoughts on that idea? Well, I think humanity, especially in the sciences, there's this temptation uh, when we're building mechanical clocks, then we say the universe is like a mechanical clock, because that's our highest level of uh, of a model for how we can envision it. And humans like to put things in, we like to put it all together so we can put it on the table and look at it. And so obviously, we're trying to do that again. Um, but when I when I consider what we're learning from quantum mechanics, I can already see as some scientists have recently pointed out, that there's no way that that we could be living in a simulation because there are simply too many variables for any kind of computer system such as we know it to be able to handle the depth, breadth, and variety of what's going on. And furthermore, as we said, we said there's no description of an event that can be objective. In addition to that, no description of an event can be complete. This is what we know from quantum mechanics for sure. And also, no description of any event can be permanent. So these are facts. This is just what quantum mechanics shows us. And this is outrageous in terms of our often unspoken assumptions about reality, that we've got this very objective, complete, permanent history. And right now, we're having a quantum invasion. You know, quantum physics is leaving no branch of science untouched. It's absolutely showing us that quantum phenomena is occurring in warm, wet, noisy environments. 
It's showing us there's an entanglement of observation mm -hmm. that combines with unique results for each observer. We're starting to see conscious agency playing out through EPR steering, and we're seeing simultaneous decidability occurring. So basically, to sum it all up, we're noticing non-locality. Mm -hmm, of course. Yeah, we're noticing this entanglement. And we're noticing that one's knowledge is quantitatively equal to one's ignorance in maximal states of knowledge. Now, that's a bit technical. But say, that, say that one more time, that last okay. sentence there. Yeah, that, okay, this is um, the idea that one's knowledge is quantitatively equal to one's ignorance when you get to maximal states of knowledge. This is an absolute fact with quantum mechanics, and it was pointed out by a researcher by the name of Speckens, S-P-E-K-K-E-N-S, He's at the Perimeter Institute currently up in Canada. Um, and basically, he writes phenomenal research papers. Um, th there are several scientists that I like to follow everything they're doing uh, just to see because they're coming out with uh, some of the clearest ways to look at quantum mechanics right now and the way it impacts our view of everything. So, But, but um, to make it simple again, I, I, think mm. these, I think people can actually – grok this. I, I think especially people listening to your show understand that as we're saying in, throughout this whole program, consciousness is key and quantum mechanics shows us that and is showing us in a number of different ways the way consciousness um, plays a role in all of this. So getting back to your question about are we in a simulation? Again, you know, whatever that simulation, whatever that physical embodiment of our consciousness might be, it's just another confusion if we make a mistake and think, oh, we're in that physical thing. Oh, we should know better. It's, it's, the answer should be no, and that consciousness is always going to be primary. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if I want to comment on that on this <laughs> at this juncture in the interview because we're, we're winding down. We'll be winding down in a bit. But I think this is definitely a conversation we should uh, allow ourselves to have at another time. I've got some thoughts on that philosophically. It's complex, sure. I, I'll be honest. I tend to resonate with the idea that there may be some aspect, matrix-like aspect to what we're living in. And I have, uh, there have just been so many uh anecdotal, sure, but very, very convincing accounts of individuals that have had encounters that have, it seems, talks about or, or plays out that there is a simulated aspect to uh, what we're living in, and yet not absent of consciousness. In other words, can consciousness exist even in the, uh, the space, if you will, figuratively speaking, of a simulation? Let's leave that for now because there's no way to parse this right now. But I think it's it's fascinating and it's exhilarating. So maybe we can continue the conversation. Well, I, my Go quick ahead. answer is yes. I'd say yes. I, I used to I used to work in the field of computer security, and um, so what we're doing now is we're creating these little environments, these little matrices to put our artificial intelligence in, everything from the Alexa system, um, and you know that Amazon uses and. All these other artificial intelligence breakthroughs, the things Google's working on, the things our governments are working on. Mm -hmm. But but the thing is, um, we're already at a point where you can't really program these artificial intelligence systems. It's more like training dogs. And they're, because the programmers are not acting like programmers anymore, the systems are very resilient, very capable of doing their own learning. 
And so, in a way, we're getting the answer that uh, we don't have definitive proof yet, but some of the first robots have passed the self-recognition test. You know, they are aware that they are aware. And that's something that Leibniz had pointed out as being a key. That's something. They're aware that they're aware. Yes. So, I think you've got your answer. Yes, you can be in that matrix, and you can start becoming conscious, and you can start noticing, hey, I'm... It's kind of like being inside of an eggshell and feeling like this is a bit confining. It's time to break out. Mm-hmm. So AI will break out. If we're stuck in a matrix, we'll break out. No problem. Very interesting. I like that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's move on and we're going to close off. We're doing a little bit of an abbreviated episode today. So I want to move on to time shifting. We're touching on it. All of this is related, Cynthia. Uh, but I, I want to share, I, I don't know if I've shared this with the audience before. If I have, bear with me, I'm going to repeat it. Because it has to do with what I would call my own time shifting experience or time time slip, maybe you could call it. I'll let you decide what to call it after I share it with you very briefly. I don't know, maybe about a month ago uh, or so, I was in my kitchen. I think I was making tea. I can't really recall at this point, but that's irrelevant. I'm in my kitchen and I, I happen to take notice of the clock and it said the stove clock as well as my phone I had in the kitchen, I think I was charging, 3.59 p.m. <clears throat> it was about to switch over to four o'clock. Okay, fine. I just happened to take notice of it. No problem. I proceed to come back into my office and work on the computer for what I would say was about 15, maybe even 20 minutes. I proceed to go back into the kitchen for whatever reason. I look at the clock and it said 402, 403 maximum. And I looked and I said, there is absolutely no way that I was only sitting at my computer for two or three minutes. I know I, uh, just based on what I was doing, my workload, that I had to be there 15, 20 minutes. And yet the clock in the kitchen, only both of them, both the phone as well as the stove clock, reflected that only two or three minutes had passed Cynthia Sue Larson, I got to tell you, I was, <laughs> that was, one, that was one of those, you know, you can, you can, uh, what is it uh, that Morpheus says in the Matrix? You can't be told what the Matrix is. <laughs> you have to experience <laughs> it. Well, whatever I experienced, it was really uh, time shake, time shifting for me. What happened, you think? <laughs> wow. Well, I've, I've had a similar experience. Oh, and do I, tell. Yes. So I was in a waiting room waiting, you know, when you're in an, in an office waiting for the doctor and one of my daughters was in the office, the other one was with me. And I thought, well, to pass the time, um, you know, this book in the waiting room looks perfect. It's a just so story um, by, you know, Kipling. And these stories just go on forever. And I thought, well, it's, uh, this will definitely fill all the time and then some. <laughs> so I start reading this very, very long story. I look at the clock. It looks like uh, I, I feel like we'll probably get through maybe half of the story, but I'm able to read the entire story. And it, it's like it's a similar experience for you, like only a couple minutes had passed. And there's no way I could read a four or five page story that quickly. And there's nothing wrong with the clock. And I could tell, by the way, my daughter came out of the waiting room. Mm-hmm. So what's happening? Well, um, essentially, time, uh, you know, time slips are ext- really interesting. You know, some people notice time slows to a stop. Some cultures, like in Norway, they've got a word for vardager, which is where you hear someone arrive before they get there. Yes, I've heard of that. And that's happened to me, where I've heard my daughter and her friends show up on the front porch, and I invite them in, come on in, I'm in the kitchen, I'm making something. 
but then there's silence and then I go out and there's nobody there and then they show up a few minutes later like 10 15 minutes later so uh, th- these are the reason I bring all this up is because it's been around for a long time the fact that the Nor- Norwegians have a word for it and it's you know many cultures have known about it for thousands of years uh, this is very very old stuff so it's not we don't need to look to the large hadron collider um, you can call it a matrix if you want to but yeah. basically it's just showing us other signs of other realities that you can easily um, enter into a timeless quality of of space. This means you've always got the time to do what you need to do. That's interesting. You always have the time. Or if we're not in time at all, it doesn't matter if time doesn't really exist. Some people go as far as to say time does not exist. It's a construct. Well, it, certainly outside of the 3D framework. But I love what you're saying, that we have all the time we need. We have all that we need to do what yes. it is we what we need to do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Journeyers, we got a lot to ponder, don't we? Whenever we have Cynthia Sue Larson on the show, that's the case. And and so it should be. <laughs> We're gonna wind down, Cynthia. We're gonna have you back. I, I think I really would love to do the simulated uh dive into the simulated uh idea a little bit more. Would you be up for oh, that? That would be great. Okay. I'd love to. Let's make a date. Maybe when we get offline, we can make a date to do that. In the meantime, can you tell us what is going on with you now that you are alive and well? <laughs> What's happening right now with you? Wow. Well, I've been just uh, publishing the newsletter, doing the videos, writing the blogs. Uh, don't have a new book yet, but uh, some people don't know the books I already do have. So it's worth mentioning that Quantum Jumps is still the most recent book. Reality Shifts also delves into a lot of the topics we've talked about yes, today. Beautiful book. And those are excellent. And for anybody that's wondering what's going on with the Mandela effect, um, these books really do get to the heart of it so that you can start feeling a bit more comfortable with what's going on. Uh, if you know someone that's panicking, you can tell them, you know, calm down. Everything's fine. <laughs> right, right. Now, are those books on uh, audiobook as well? Since yes, they, they are. They're audio and they're also um, like on the electronic media as well. Kindle. So, okay. We'll make sure yeah. to have links to all of them so you can take your pick. And you know what I'm thinking? As you say, you haven't done a, a book on Mandela Effect yet. Or maybe in another timeline, you have. <laughs> Bring it through. Bring it on through. I bet people would love that. This is a very, very popular topic, as you well know. But I think, uh, I, I don't know what's out there right now in book form. But would you consider maybe doing a book on the Mandela effect? I mean, really I would- digging into that. Yeah, it's possible. What I do with the books is I wait till one of their spirits comes to me. It's like feeling a child come to you and knowing that that's the spirit of it. And mm-hmm. it's just unmistakable when that happens. And so what what, if, what I've been going through in the last couple of years in my own evolutionary process is going into a purification of my heart. This is that leveling up and recognizing that choosing a state of reverence with a pure heart is the only happiness. It's a very spiritual path, but any type of grasping onto anything that we might think of as safe or solid is not really going to prove ultimately satisfactory. Mm. So probably if I write about something, the way that I'm going right now would probably be along those lines. But I like things to be practical. I like things to be relevant. So Mm -hmm. who knows? Anything's possible. I love it. Anything's possible. And on the heels of that, what is your most, what is my most favorite saying that you say all the time? Uh Aha. How good can it get? 
Thank you. <laughs> and we're Thank gonna, you so much. We're going to leave it there. How good can it get? Question mark. Journeyers, tell me how good it can get for you. Always, always, always. I love to hear from you. So let us know. And oh, by the way, if you like what you heard today, please don't hesitate to consider subscribing, liking, and don't forget to hit that notification bell. And I'm laughing. You know, it's always... <laughs> I'm very serious about that, but I'm listen. I'm following the trend. I we really it, it does help support the show. But I have to chuckle when I when I'm hearing myself say this. I'm hearing so many others say it, but I'm joining the bandwagon. So we would appreciate it if you would subscribe. Always, always appreciate you the most. So thanks everyone for joining us. Thank you, Cynthia Sue Larson. As always, a pleasure. And it's been far too long. Let's not uh, let's not uh, make it this long next time, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Deal. Okay. All right, gang. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care.